Now, you have been walking through the Gospel of Matthew, and we have now come to the 16th chapter, the 13th verse. And I haven't taken the privilege of going back, and you've had a smattering of different folks. And one of the things that you see in the Gospel of Matthew is it's really all about showing us that Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promises that were given in the Old Testament. And so a lot of times you'll see the, uh, you know, theology scholars will go, Matthew is a kingdom gospel. It points to the kingdom. And you can even go through and you can say early on in the gospel, you've got the coming of the kingdom in the early chapters, three through seven. And then you have the works of the kingdom, a lot more about what Jesus is doing as he's healing and casting out demons and raising people from the dead. And you find that in eight through ten. And then you find the nature of the kingdom as Jesus begins to define that in 11 through 13. And now we're sort of in the section of Matthew that I think is talking about the authority of the kingdom. Uh, Jesus is indeed one who has authority. And then later in the book, you see the kingdom blessings and the promises of kingdom judgment. Uh, if you are not right with King Jesus... And we are in this authority section, and think about what Matthew has shown you all through the gospel so far. Um, in this section here concerning the authority, back in 14, he showed us the death of John the Baptist, that John the Baptist was declaring and giving the message that the Messiah is coming, the Savior is coming. And then Matthew shows us the feeding of the 5,000, walking on the water, healing of the sick, and... Then in chapter 15, notice he talks about the traditions and the false keeping, or at least the attempt at keeping the law, thinking that we can earn something before a holy God by keeping the law. And we never can, can we? And that's why Jesus came into the Pharisees. They were not happy because Jesus was calling them on the carpet with that. And in fact, when you look at the beginning of 16, in the previous weeks, you've looked at that. The Pharisees were going, well, show us a sign. You, you claim all this, we'll, we'll prove it. And Jesus is like, seriously? I've already done all this. And, and he doesn't need to prove himself to Pharisees and Sadducees. And in fact, it's so funny because if you remember in 16.6, what's he tell his disciples? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Now, being self-centered people like you and me, what did the disciples do? Oh man, he's worried about, we forgot the bread. <laughs> right over their heads. They missed it completely. And Jesus had to explain to them that, dude, we're talking about the doctrine of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. That's bad leaven. It's bad doctrine. And don't go after those guys. I am and we see in other places, I'm the Savior, and this is what Jesus is revealing. And so now we come to today's passage. We're in 1613. If you have your scriptures, follow along, please. Matthew 1613. And when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked the disciples, who do the people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter, remember foot in the mouth Peter, he replies, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. 
And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And then he strictly charged his disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. The flowers, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. And here's the reality. Matthew has now reached that culmination of his gospel where he is showing us who Jesus Christ is. He's been showing us in many, many different ways. And think about what we've seen all through the gospel of Matthew. All the way back in Matthew chapter 3, Jesus was baptized. He was letting us understand Jesus is the great high priest. The high priest that we need, not the failed ones that were there serving in the temple. And what's the proof of that? What's John say when Jesus comes to be baptized? Whoa, 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 whoa. No, no, I, you, I need to be baptized by you. Not, you don't need to be baptized because John knew he was the son of God. He was the savior of the world. And what did Jesus say? This must be so to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus didn't need any righteousness. He was already righteous and perfect and holy, right? So what do those words mean? In order to fulfill the law, I have to be your high priest. And a high priest has to be consecrated. And so that's what John was doing. He was consecrating him. He was baptizing him according to the law. And then in chapter 4, we saw that Jesus was tempted for 40 days in the flesh. I mean, he got the, the main show, Satan himself. And he did what? He obeyed perfectly. He was without sin. And he answered each time with the word of God. Whew. We have a Savior who can fulfill the law. And then, and then Jesus in the next chapter, chapter 5, he says, Oh, by the way, I came to fulfill the law, not abolish it. So I'm not pitching the law out. I'm just simply, I'm going to actually obey the law. Because you sure fail is the implication that comes through. And then in 6, he, he teaches us how to pray. He teaches us the importance of if you receive forgiveness from God your Father, you better be willing to forgive others because that's the heart of it. And then as you moved into 7, he begins to really get to the heart of the gospel. He says, this isn't about the way the Pharisees and scribes say, keep the law. You need to do that better. You need to make sure you're correctly tithing and correctly keeping the law and watching the Sabbath. Jesus is going, it's not about good works. And you can go read about that in 721 and following in that chapter. He said, it's about doing the will of God and trusting in his word. And what's the word of God say? That Jesus Christ is our Savior he became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. So we can try as hard as we want to keep the Ten Commands and you're going to fail. And you'll be guilty of it all. And that's what Jesus is showing. And that's why Jesus is with the Pharisees constantly, isn't he? Because the Pharisees are like, we do this really well and, and you need to be like us. <laughs> Jesus is calling them on the carpet. And, and also, Matthew, as he's gone through this gospel, he's shown you so far, Jesus is a miracle worker. 
he's expressing authority over storms. He's multiplying food. And suddenly, a couple of loaves, he's feeding thousands. He is healing people left and right. He's casting demons out. He's even has authority over death itself as he raises people from the dead. What is it, the little girl in 926? And so Jesus is a person of authority. He has authority in all of these. And this is what Matthew has been building up to. And now as we are in 16, Matthew is coming with a purpose and he's getting to the ultimate purpose and why this passage is so important. We come face to face with a question that every single one of you need to ask. Because Jesus asked you this tonight. Who do you say that I am? Who is Jesus Christ? And notice that the first question, before he asked that, he says, what do other people say? And you've got neighbors and family and friends around you who answer this question all the time, very much like these people. Notice the answer that they give. They said, some say John, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. So in other words, Jesus is not the Son of God, he's just a good prophet. And you've heard this, how many of you have neighbors or co-workers? Yeah, Jesus, he was a great teacher, but he's not God, he's not the Son of God. Yeah, Jesus taught some really good stuff, I, yeah, I like to read his stuff but they don't see him as Savior. That's exactly what the disciples there are saying. This is what people say. He's John the Baptist reincarnated. And then they go through a whole list of the Old Testament prophets, you know, Elijah, Jeremiah. And what I think Matthew wants you and I to see through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is that the people were recognized there was something special about Jesus. But recognizing that Jesus is special is different than declaring who he is. Okay? That's really important. If you go, well, yeah, Jesus is a great teacher. You can walk right straight into hell believing that. And you see, the people recognize that Jesus, like the prophets of the Old Testament, spoke with direct authority of God. They were impressed by his words. And so they realize this guy is different than the average Pharisee and scribe. He's not like them. And as a Jew, they expected a prophet. They expected a Messiah since God had promised that. He had said there will be another prophet better than Moses. And so they're all thinking, yeah, maybe this is it. And then that's why some think he's Elijah. Malachi 4.5 says, Behold, I'm going to send Elijah the prophet before that great and awesome day of the Lord comes. So they're thinking, okay, Jesus is a really good prophet. He's telling some really great things, and the great and awful day of the Lord is coming. But that's not enough. And in fact, if you go over and you read Mark's gospel, one of the solutions there, and this is where when they say, some say John the Baptist, Mark gives you an additional footnote which really tells you that Well, King Herod thought it was John the Baptist reincarnated. Because remember, he killed John the Baptist. And he's a little bit scared. He's thinking, whoa, he's coming back from the dead and speaking to me. 
And so he's a little freaked out by that. But all of these guesses at Jesus' identity are wrong. They're wishful thinking because here's the common denominator. They all pointed to Jesus as a prophet. He's way more than a prophet. He's way more than a good teacher. What did Peter say? Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's way more than just being a good prophet because all of those views of the people were, well, this is just a prophet, and if we ignore him, it's not that big a deal. But you cannot ignore Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, and think that it's not a big deal because I assure you it will be a big deal on Judgment Day. They missed the reality that the Messiah, God's only begotten Son, was in their presence. The gracious, compassionate creator, the, the judge of the universe was standing before them. And that's why Jesus asked that next question. You see it there, verse 15. But who do you? And you can imagine, what was his look as he looked at the disciples? Did he look into their eyes? Did he... Did he slow down and look around? And literally, you should read this as you come through that this is Jesus reaching out of the page and going, who do you say that I am? And good old foot and mouth Peter. Remember Peter's, you know, speak first, think later. But Peter here spoke, and he says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter stands up before the disciples, and he's like, You're the Christ. You're the Messiah. You are the Son of God. It's like, yeah, you're the promise, the prophet, the promised one. You're God Himself. Now, that's radical for a good Jewish boy to answer that way. Because think of their theology. Oh, yeah, Deuteronomy 6 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And here's Peter going, You're God. There's God the Father. Ooh, you're both God. They're there before him. And so this is a significant set of state words coming from Peter's mouth. But who do you say that, or you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And it reveals the nature of God. This was radical. And he recognizes that Jesus comes from God. He is sent from God. He is the anointed Messiah to redeem his people. Peter is unpacking these things. Later we'll see that he doesn't fully get it yet. He's got a pretty good glimpse, but he won't till later. But we'll talk more on that in a moment. And I love Jesus' response. Do you see how Jesus responds to Peter? You see it there in verse 17? What's he say? Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Do you see the amazing truth that you have there? God had graced Peter with a gift. The gift of knowledge, the gift of understanding, the ultimate understanding of who Jesus Christ was. And here's the deal. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and you say, yes, He is indeed the Son of God, He is my Savior, He's my Messiah, then guess what? Jesus would say the same thing to you. You didn't just figure this out on your own. You're not that bright of a bulb. The Holy Spirit gave you that gift. And he made you alive. And you were able to confess, Jesus is Christ. Jesus is Savior. Jesus is Lord. 
And what, G- what Jesus is saying to Peter is like, God has blessed you with amazing grace in granting you this knowledge of who I am. And that's a profound statement. And praise God that it doesn't depend upon our smartness. It simply depends upon us responding to what the Spirit gives us. And we can confess Jesus Christ as Lord. And then he goes on and he says, he says, I tell you, you're Peter and on this rock and I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now these are controversial verses. (laughs) We can get in a lot of trouble tonight, okay? Um, You have certain branches that would take these words and give them way more power than they need. And there are probably four ways to view these words. You know, you're Peter, and on this rock I'm going to build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. One, Peter's confession is that Jesus is indeed the Christ, and that confession is the rock upon which the church of Jesus Christ is going to be built. Not a bad way to go. I'd be okay with that. I don't think it's the correct meaning here, but it's not a bad one, okay? (laughs) Second, we could say, well, Jesus is declaring that he himself is the rock. And what's funny is Peter later writes, 1 Peter 2, verse 5, Jesus is our cornerstone. He is a rock. But I don't think that was what was meant in this passage. Third, that Peter is the representative apostle. You know, he was the spokesman for the disciples. And so therefore, Peter is giving the authority of the church. And then there's an apostolic succession from Peter all the way down and maybe even through a pope or two. And that's how many interpret that. I don't think that's a correct answer either. And I'll tell you why in a moment. Or fourth, Peter's confession represents the type of person or the faith on which the true church of Jesus Christ is built. And I would submit to you, I believe that's the right answer, number four. It's, it defines the character of faith that his church is built upon. That's the strength of the church of Jesus Christ. That's the strength that we have it's not that we, we have been passed this down through the apostles and, you know, Derek somehow got a little uh, apostle hat, or I did, or... We don't need that. We have something much better. And that's a gift of the Holy Spirit in each and every believer, and that's the foundation that the church is built on. And so, when we look at those options, the first two, let me just help you understand... And maybe y'all have heard messages along this line. I've heard too many in my life. And they'll go into the Greek and they'll go, you know in the Greek, Peter is Petros. And that means little rock. And then there is Petra, which means boulder, big rock. And they do this wordplay. It's a really cute little thing. You can go back and forth. And great, except for one problem. They didn't speak in Koinonia Greek. They spoke in, remember? Aramaic was the common language. That was the language they were speaking. This was recorded in Koinonia Greek, but it was not spoken in in Koinonia Greek. It was spoken in Aramaic. Does that make sense? And so this whole beautiful picture of Petra and Petros suddenly just disappeared. (laughs) 
if we're speaking in Aramaic. It doesn't exist. And so that kind of pulls the rug out from the first two because they depend upon this wordplay. And as cute as it is, and maybe there was something in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit when it was written that, yeah, it's a secondary. I, I can't buy that as a primary meaning. The third view has been abused by certain churches over in Rome to prove the authority of certain people who can speak. Here's the only thing that speaks with authority, right? The Word of God. And only the Word of God. No human being. It doesn't get passed down as a, a sub-Peter. Because the problem is, is that goes way beyond what the Scripture declares. And remember, we believe the Word of God is what matters. And so, this takes that and then builds and springboards off it. And it seems way more than P Peter's confession of Christ. They make the importance on Peter and then the succession that comes. No, the importance was what he confessed. Because Jesus just said, you didn't get this on your own. The Holy Spirit gave it to you. God revealed that to you. And in fact, Peter himself shows, you can go read the book of Peter. Remember, he wrote those. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4 and 5. He speaks about the importance of faith. And in fact, it's kind of cool because he talks about little stones. As you come to him, Jesus Christ, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves are like living stones. You are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Peter's not tooting his own horn or saying, I'm the apostle and the authority and I'm going to be the first pope. Or... Ah. Now, what's Peter pointing to? Living stones. The Holy Spirit in each individual believer. That's the power and the strength of the church that is being built up. That's the power. And so, that's the power of Peter's confession. And so that leads us to the fourth view, as I believe to be the most valid. Peter's confession of Jesus represents the type of faith that's needed that builds a strong church. You as an individual, you are not trusting your ability to keep the law. You are not trusting your works. You are trusting that's Jesus, the Christ, the Son of the living God. He did what I can't do. He's my goodness. He's my righteousness. I'm a whale slime. I mean, when I appear before God on that judgment day, I hope you're going to say something along these lines when he says, why should I let you in my heaven? I hope you're going to go, well, I probably don't deserve to be here, God. But you know what? I read your Bible, and you sent Jesus. And he did what I can't do. And you said, if I believe in him, his works are mine. So I'm here with Jesus. And do you know what the next word you'll hear will be? Well done, my good and faithful servant. You see how that great exchange works? That's the gospel. That's the truth of the gospel right there. And that is why I believe that it's the faith, the confession that Peter makes about who Jesus is that is important. You see, the church, what we have here, and the church universal, what we have over at Oak and Hope and 
all of these other churches as we confess Christ. How did Paul put it? Ephesians 2.19 So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God. You are built on the foundation of what? The apostles and the prophets. Notice not apostolic succession, but what did the apostles and prophets give us? Dingo! Word of God. The Bible. That's what God has given to it. This is the foundation. This is the truth. You will die or live by this. Not what any human being says. And so... When Paul says it's built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, and then he just reminds you, Christ Jesus being the cornerstone. Because all this does what? It points to Jesus. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. From Genesis to Revelation, it's all about Jesus. That's powerful. And I hope you are a part of a church. Not just an earthly member, because I hate to tell you this. I know you guys don't have official membership here. We do at our church. But even if you were a card-carrying member at my church, you know what? That does not get you into heaven. There are some card-carrying members of churches who are on their path to hell because they think, well, I'm not too bad. I'm pretty good. I keep the law pretty well. I'm kind of a nice person. Oh, yeah, I believe in Jesus. How did James put it? Even the demons believe in Jesus. And they shudder. Who do you believe Jesus Christ to be? That's what matters. And let me warn you, I hope I'm scaring some of you. You need faith in what Christ has done. That's what matters. And that's what Peter's confession, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. When you say, He is my righteousness. He's the one who came and did what I can't do. And it's a great exchange. He gets my sin. I get His righteousness. That's the gospel. Now, after this amazing confession, there's a really freaky verse, 20. should shake you up. And then Jesus strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that He was the Christ. By the way, that is not applicable for today. That was a temporary instruction by Jesus to these foolish disciples. Let me help you understand that a little bit better. Why would Jesus tell them not to preach Christ at this point? Because they were too stupid and lacked understanding. Yes, the Holy Spirit had revealed that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God, but... You want proof? And I'm going to steal a little bit of thunder from Darian coming next week. But look ahead. Cheat. Be ready for next week. Look at it. You got it in your Bibles there. Verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples, the stupid fools, that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Whoa, 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 whoa. Hold it. What what are you talking about there, Jesus? And then what's Peter do? Foot and mouth Peter. Ain't no way far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. Verse 22. What was Jesus' words to him next? Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Slap, slap, slap. He got slapped down. 
That's why verse 20 is there. Guys, chill. You got a piece of it. You know who I am. I am the Son of God. I am the Savior. I am the Messiah. But you got no clue how it's going to happen yet. Peter, you think we're all going to want, hey, can I have the right seat? Can I have the left seat? These guys don't have a clue. We're talking, you know, over the head. And Jesus says, time out. You be quiet about this for a little while. But that changed real quickly, and it changed for you, too. What's the end of Matthew say? Go into all the world. This, verse 20 does not apply to you, okay? That was a temporary measure for a bunch of foolish disciples. You and I, we need to declare Christ as Savior because we understand it. We have the revealed picture. I mean, hello, what year are we in? 2023, right? That's approximately that many years from Christ, right? We changed a whole calendar in the world because of Jesus and His impact. And we have the message. And so, don't think 20 years. You need to be declaring to everyone that you come across you need to be asking people, who do you say Jesus is? You need to ask that question. Who do you believe Jesus to be? Because you know what? I'm never going to make it except for the fact that God loved me enough. He sent Jesus. He lived holy and righteous in my place. And because I believe in him, I'm set free. I'm accepted in the beloved. That's the gospel. That's the question we need to be sharing. How many of your neighbors and friends, and I know you guys got this, I have this all the time, you know, I'm a, like a pastor, and I remember back when I was in seminary, I worked at Disney World, in a telephone company at Disney, and, you know, it'd be like I walk in the room, and suddenly they're like, can't say that, preacher soon-to-be is going to be here, you know, they'd clean up their language, oh, sorry, Rev, I hate that, I'm no more holy than anybody else. I just love Jesus. And I'd tell him that. It's like, hey, you want to curse? You're going to have to deal with God one day, not me. <laughs> I, you don't need to fear me. You need to fear the Creator because you're going to have to answer. And I'd love to tell you how you can answer that before that God, and I'll talk to you about Jesus. But I don't need you to be holy. I just need you to know about Jesus. You see how that works? That's evangelism, brothers and sisters. That's what we're called to do. And we are called to walk in faith every day. I know I fall short, but Jesus did everything I need. We're good. That's what matters. And so ask yourself, ask your family, ask your friends, ask your neighbors, who do you say that Jesus is? And help them understand the real gospel, not the American media presented gospel. You know what they say? Oh, if you're good enough, Maybe you'll get, earn your way into heaven. No, that smells of smoke. That's not the gospel. It's by faith alone, in Christ alone, by his grace alone. And let us never forget that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a joy and a privilege to be able to think about and be reminded of this truth, how much you loved us, and that while we were yet sinners, you sent Christ to die for us. May we never forget this question, who do you say that I am? And may we declare it boldly and proudly that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God. He is our Savior. He is our Redeemer. 
He is our Messiah. Thank you, Father. We pray all these things in your Son's glorious name. Amen.